Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. We're going to go through the week 16 weekend slate, a lot of blowouts, some important games to go over, all of my unadjusted scores, and of course, the insightful commentary of everyone's favorite data scientist, Ben Brown. Let's get to it. All right, Ben, thank you for joining me again. We are both in uh, new locations here. I on vacation, uh, the isolation uh, cell that you were in before. You must have been good to your captors and you, yes. you got a nice couch there <laughs> to sit down on before you performed well and you've made it out of uh, isolation. So uh, congratulations to you on that front. Thank you. Yeah. Big step for me in week 16. Thankfully I moved out of my own basement now into my parents' basement. Some people would say it's a step back. I only like to think of it as a step forward. So uh, we'll see where I end up here in week 17. Maybe I'm in an entirely new location, like, like Guantanamo Bay or something like that here, visiting you down in Florida. I don't know for sure. So (laughs) maybe, maybe. Yeah. Well, you know what? They probably been trailing you on your undefeated picks. Right. uh, right. So some of that is filtering back to you. So, okay. So everyone, we're going to get into all of the week 16 action. Luckily there are some, blowouts and unimportant games we can flow by because we don't have the bye weeks to 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 help us anymore here but we're going to start with monday night football but before we start i want to make sure everyone understands the premise of what we're going to do here we're going to discuss the games give some of the up top parameters as far as the spread and totals for games that are important for what the total was and then go through the actual score and my adjusted score which gives a little bit more credit for uh, success rate. So something that's a little bit more sustainable. Teams are more sustainably successful versus the outlier plays. Um, it's going to downweight special teams. It's going to give credit to teams that uh, a little bit more credit to teams that have higher, more turnovers and they actually have turnover worthy plays because of tips, other things like that drops and then vice versa. If the team is throwing a lot of dropped interceptions, then we're going to weight them a little bit more harshly than we would normally. So let's talk about Miami, New Orleans. It falls into the category of bad game game that has interesting playoff uh, implications let's talk first though about the fact that this was a three-point total i mean three-point spread for miami a 37 total so it's 20 to 3 miami so well under still the 37 there obviously crushing the three points that miami was favored by my adjusted scores had a 21 to 8 so a little bit more narrow but easily uh under the total easily over the three points that miami needed to cover on this one so the first thing I want to cover is the fact that with these weird things happening, the Saints are missing 20 players. They're on their fourth quarterback here. Are we unable, especially nerds and bookmakers and others who are using past historical information to set these lines, is it just irrelevant in these circumstances, or was this an outlier type of game that we shouldn't wait going forward? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's completely irrelevant, but I do think when you are kind of regressing to the market expectation, uh, there's going to be these games where you just completely miss on. And maybe it is worthwhile to say that this is a complete outlier game. Like you said, fourth string quarterback uh, for the New Orleans Saints, Ian Book, uh, probably the lowest total of uh, a primetime game here in 2021. I'm thinking back to like, you know, when the Bills and Patriots played in that snowpocalypse snowpocalypse game that game closed at a 39 point total so two points lower than that even uh, and it still wasn't enough right and I think if you were kind of looking at it before the game you would say well you know Ian Book maybe he's successful or maybe he allows you know a few big plays to Miami Dolphins defense things like a pick six or something to kind of have them on track to at least go over what is a really really low total uh, and that happened and we still didn't even come close to this total so I agree with you in this certain situations that there's going to be uh, games here in 2021 probably due to COVID uh, that 
are just completely uh, not like anything we've seen prior history, even in 2020, definitely in years previous to that. So uh, it makes it difficult to uh, bet with a model in these types of situations, uh, again, especially when you are kind of regressing to the mean. So I think you need to take uh, the model outputs with a grain of salt when you're kind of evaluating some of these games that are just like completely off based uh, on what we have as far as like team power rankings and those sorts of things, and even individual power rankings when you're kind of trying to adjust for uh, the replacement level value of players filling in at those positions. So it's tough from a modeling perspective. Sometimes you just need to side with the market uh, and pound pound teams like the Dolphins, pound like the under, uh, and just be happy with uh, those results when they actually come in. Yeah, yeah. And then for the particulars of this game, I mean, Tua didn't play great. I guess he wasn't maybe as bad as some of the perception would have been on there. Right. Uh, he had an ugly interception, but it was only a negative 1.5 expected points because it was on third and nine and he threw it 30 yards downfield. Although it looked really bad. Did another very, very bad sack, which extended a field goal that they ended up missing at the end of the first half. 50 uh, something passing grade for us. And what's weird about Ian book in this one is he actually had a 50 something passing grade also. Right. Despite the fact that his EPA per play was the fourth worst, on the entire season, he took eight sacks in this one, but he was getting killed as far as that's concerned. Uh, going forward with these teams, Dolphins are 20, 25% chance to make the playoffs here. The Saints are actually still up in the 30 to 35% range. Uh, what do you think about either of these teams as far as playoffs possibility? Uh, what, 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 do we do we want these teams to make the playoffs? No. I think I think we <laughs> I think the Saints could be interesting. The Saints beat the Bucks twice. Okay, right. with with when they actually have players. So I think they could be a little bit interesting. Miami, you just don't know what to do with them when you read off the quarterbacks that they've been facing, where Ian Book might not even be the worst quarterback that they faced right. over this winning streak. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I don't want to see either one of these teams in the playoffs. Definitely don't want to see the New Orleans Saints. I do think, you know, like you said, it is interesting. They did beat the Buccaneers twice, but there's not a team that I think uh, can really compete with uh, the upper teams in the NFC when they're actually playing at their best teams, like the Cowboys, Packers, even Bucks. They did beat them, of course, but I think that's more of an outlier performance based on, you know, some expectations of how well their defense actually played in that mat in those two matchups. So, uh, no, I don't really want to see it. I do think the D Dolphins could potentially, you know, run the table here, Tennessee this weekend, uh, and then they face New England at home next week, and they obviously need to win out in order to get into the playoffs. Maybe they keep their hot streak alive, but uh, much better quarterback play on the opposite side of the field than what they've had for the previous seven wins, basically. So I don't yeah, expect yeah. to see either one of these teams in the playoffs. Uh, I'm ready to, uh, ready to call it quits on both of their seasons here in 2021. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be, you're going to be tired of hearing this trope over the course of the next couple of weeks, but it's true for the Dolphins that the playoffs really start next next week for them. They're going to play, right. as you mentioned, the Titans, the Patriots. If they win those games, I believe, I mean, I've checked all my calculations here, but I believe they're 100% in the playoffs if they, win, if they win both of those games. So that's really what their playoff probability is based on, whether or not they can win both of those games. So they're basically going to need to ride this out plus another three victories to get to the to get to the Super Bowl here, because we all want to see the Dolphins in, in the Super Bowl, of course, of course, <laughs> this year with Tua. And then that will also prove that Tua was the correct pick over Justin Herbert, I believe. If right. they, if they, right. if, just by QB wins, if they can end up getting into the playoffs this year. All right, let's go yeah. back to Saturday. Way back to Saturday. Uh, Cleveland Browns, Green Bay Packers. Packers, seven and a half point favorites, win by two points. Four points better, according to my numbers here. First off, 
are we worried about the Packers at all after this? People seem to write this off as, you know, oh, the Packers know how to win. Well, you know, they punted a few times at the end of this game and gave the Browns a chance to win after the Browns turned over the ball and Baker Mayfield was in the giving mood four times during this game. Right, definitely. I don't think you're going to get much worse of a performance uh, from Baker Mayfield's perspective uh, for the Green Bay Packers. So I think it is a little bit concerning, right? Obviously, like you said, they punted, kind of not necessarily punted the game away, but definitely gave the Browns uh, the opportunity to win this one on more than just one or two drives. I think that's concerning. Similar thing to last week, they almost had Tyler Huntley beat them. In Baltimore, uh, if they would have scored that two-point conversion, kind of let them get back into the game as well. So they've started off hot and just haven't been able to bury teams. I do think uh, when they're actually playing a team that is similar, you know, in skill set to them in the playoffs, uh, I'm 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 going to be concerned about it because they just haven't necessarily put teams away uh, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have, maybe even to a lesser extent the Dallas Cowboys have. So uh, they are sitting, you know, with tied for like the best odds with the Kansas City Chiefs two in the Super Bowl this year, but I do think their path uh, to getting back in or to getting to the Super Bowl uh, is really difficult. And I don't necessarily think uh, they're probably uh, valued correctly in the betting market uh, where they actually should be right now, based on the pre- previous couple game performances. So. Yeah. Yeah. We go, when we turn to the Browns, um, Stefanski is catching some heat because of the play calling here. And the Browns were highly, highly, highly successful running the ball. They had a success rate on their designed runs over 60% versus 45% when dropping back the pass. They were averaging about half a point per play on design runs, which is almost a hundredth percentile type of outcome for a game uh, versus losing three quarters of a point with all those interceptions and sacks that Baker Mayfield was taking on the other end. So are they, is this on our radar at all? The fact that Stefanski's getting pummeled a bit for especially passing the last three games, the last three plays of yeah. the season uh, of that particular game. Is it on our radar? Or are we not questioning what's, what's going on here? I don't want to question it too much from Stefanski's um, side of things, because looking back on it, like the Packers had everything break right for them and the Browns were still right there in order to win this football game. So something uh, I would say is not is off more so from the Packers side than Kevin Stefanski side. I do think, you know, his ability to at least coach them through a lot of mistakes, five sacks for Baker Mayfield, four interceptions, uh, and they still have a chance to beat what many believe are is the best team in the NFC right now. So uh, I'm not really going to knock Stefanski too much for that sort of situation. Obviously, there's some time constraints happening as well. Would you have liked to see him run the football on one of those three downs? Sure, maybe, but uh, we're not necessarily going to, you know, hammer our boy Stefanski here, uh, especially from, you know, an analytics perspective on play calling situations, which is just something I know you don't necessarily want to want to get too heavily involved in here right now. So, yeah, yeah, I, I don't. Although I will say watching that game, I had a similar feeling to what some others had. Now, the Browns could maybe turn things around. I mean, they've been a bit unlucky with all the different things that have happened to them. Uh, not being having to play the Nick Mullins game, barely yep. losing this game, despite having, I think they have a pretty good team, like as far as the strength of the team is concerned internally when they have their pieces. There's maybe a better chance that you might think for them to make the playoffs. I'm not sure if it's more than 20%-ish to make the playoffs, but they have the Steelers and the Bengals to finish the season. So if they can win out, they need other things to happen, but it's not the most unlikely other things to happen. The first thing they need to happen is they need the Bengals to lose to the Kansas City Chiefs next week. So I think that's, you know, not, not 100% of the time that's going to happen, but that's probable, I will say. 
The second thing that they need to happen is for the Ravens to lose one of their next two games. And the Ravens are playing the Steelers in week 18. So they'll probably be healthy by then. Maybe that doesn't happen, but they're playing the Rams next week. So, you know, that's not the most unlikely scenario outside of the fact that the Browns do need to win these next two games, which includes beating a Bengals team that's playing pretty well. So it's perhaps they can get the narrative flipped around here if they could, if those things end up happening. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you. I do think, you know, um, they've kind of had the deck stacked against them for a while. Have they performed completely up to expectation? No, but I do think, you know, players two through 53 on this roster uh, are probably some of the, are maybe the best in the NFL. So if Baker can kind of get things right, I do think that they are kind of a dangerous out here toward the end of the season. And if they get into that ASC playoff race, so. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for the Packers concern, again, this, this type of outcome is going to be a little bit of a negative for me, as far as the team strength is concerned, not hugely yep. negative, but a little bit of a negative team strength, but the win gives them better and better chances of getting that number one seed, which would then obviously help substantially for them getting, getting to the Super Bowl. And we have the Vikings on course for Sunday night football, where Aaron Rodgers could definitely seal the MVP race, which it looks like he's, I mean, I'm surprised the odds are even more far in his, in his favor, favor right now, because Brady has fallen out of people's consciousness, at least, despite the fact that he's played okay the last couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, at this, at, at this stage, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers competing against what Cooper Cup and Jonathan Taylor, it sounds like for the MVP discussion, which uh, he should definitely be head and shoulders above the rest. Maybe, maybe if Tom Brady kind of shows out here a little bit more uh, with, you know, the lack of receiving core that he has in place right now, maybe that's the reason why he could potentially get back into the race. But I agree with you. It sounds like, you know, Joe Throgan basically is going to be the 2021 MVP when it's all said and done. So yeah, yeah. Rogers, if, if they win, if, if they get that first seed, I think it's pretty much wrapped up. Okay. Right. The other Saturday game, the Colts at the Arizona Cardinals Colts uh, were three point underdogs. Arizona favored by three ends up being 22 to 16 Colts win. I had it more being an even game primarily because the success rate, was fairly low for the Colts. They ran it a bunch, but with four replacement offensive linemen, they only had an 18% success rate. Their EPA per play was very low. Despite the optics of Taylor having another 100-yard game, he basically ripped off one big run on first down, so it wasn't hugely valuable to start the game. And then the rest of the game, he averaged something like two yards per carry and was not helping them convert first downs at all. Negative 16 yards before contact in this game. So just really, really ugly numbers there for that offensive line. Um, and the Cardinals who Austin Gale, a uh, friend of the pod, fellow PFF has labeled the Cardinals, which I'm stealing. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk about them. You brought him forward. with it. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't just claim it as my own, but I'm going to give credit to him on the Cardinals. I'm surprised no one else has come up with that. Uh, quite honestly, the, the question about them now is they're in a tailspin. They probably only have a quarter chance and roughly of winning their division now with the Rams surging. So what, how do we feel about the Fraudinals? Uh, are they the Fraudinals? And then on the Colts side, are they truly the most dangerous team on the planet as they've been labeled by the football media complex? Yeah, I definitely think the fraud Fraudinals are uh, an apt title for them. I think if you don't steal it, I'm going to be definitely stealing that one because I do think it fits. Where do we perfectly. rank them in the NFC? Where do we rank I them mean, in the NFC? So we have yeah, the Bucks and the, and the say the Packers at the top. I would say Bucks and Packers. I do think the Cowboys are definitely above them okay. as well. Not even really close right now. Um, I do think the Rams are probably ahead of them uh, okay. from my perspective. Still, uh, I just think you know the Rams are a much better team than what 
uh, the Cardinals have shown here. I do think people are probably still trying to give them credit for, you know, the injury situations and them being able to handle that pretty well. I don't necessarily buy into that a whole lot. So uh, I think that I would have them. Yeah. So you'd have them a tier below these teams, right? So I, I, I definitely have them a tier below the Packers, Buccaneers, Cowboys, uh, and Rams, right? And I do think that they're probably, so they're, you know, the fifth, fifth team, uh, I would say, uh, probably in the NFC right now. Um, that's kind of where I have them. Yeah, I think it's fair. I, I think I think what I would do is I would say, you know, between them and the 49ers, I don't know. That's kind exactly. of like almost, that, well, that's, almost a coin yeah. flip at this point. So right. I think they're kind of in that tier with the 49ers beyond those those more elite teams. Yeah, definitely. I think the teams that kind of get into, you know, the NFC wildcard race, 49ers, maybe the Eagles, like I'm not I'm not really putting the Cardinals all that much ahead of either one of those two teams either, right? I do think if the Saints get in, I would have the Cardinals ahead of the Saints, but uh, yeah, they're just, they're not a team that I think is really going to win uh, a playoff game here in 2021. How about, how about the Colts? Because we saw some of this Carson Wentz 2017 magic in this game. Uh, those final few well, drives, final few drives, but two, two drives. Third quarter. They, yeah. Third quarter. Yeah. So he ended up going six of eight, 123 yards, a touchdown, four first down converges on those drives. And this was him. This was not being carried by Jonathan Taylor, Taylor in those two drives that were really the scoring drives for them had seven carries for 13 yards, did not convert anything on first down. The problem I see is without, I mean, maybe if they had a bye and you could say they need two wins and then the Super Bowl, they'd have a chance of getting this Carson Wentz ceiling performance for that many weeks, but they need to close out the season. They need to, you know, win the three games, multiple games are probably going to be on the road there for them and then have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. It seems like a little too much for this version of Carson Wentz because you're rolling the dice that you're not going to get the version that we saw um, against the Patriots where they, they won that game, but you're not going to win games like that in the playoffs very often where you have a guy who throws 12 pass attempts and three of them are turnover-worthy plays. Right, yeah, definitely. I agree with you. I do think this was probably the game we do we did need to see from Carson Wentz to at least somewhat buy into uh, the narrative of the Colts being a little bit of a dangerous team, but I do think that narrative is built on the fact that they could potentially go into some of these cold weather environments like new England, like Buffalo, like Kansas city and win and win like a snowpocalypse type of game, right? They obviously are built for that mentality. They have, you know, the interior offensive line do have the capabilities to run the football probably better than anybody else in the NFL right now. So could they win those games? Yeah, they definitely could. But if they're relying on Carson Wentz, you know, to lead them to be uh, really highly efficient, kind of like he was, uh, during stretches here on Saturday night, but I don't think he's necessarily put in a complete performance here in 2021, where I would say this is the Carson Wentz Colts need in order to get through the AFC and potentially get into the Super Bowl. I have not seen that yet. This was maybe uh, one of the closer games that he's had here in 2021 in getting to that point, but it's still not enough uh, from my perspective. So, so we'll see. I, I, I don't think the Colts are as good as what the NFL media wants them to be right now part of that is the running narrative part of that is you know a lot of things need to break right for them in order to actually be successful in the playoffs maybe that's going to happen uh, but I just think the, the the deck is probably stacked too much against them mainly because of Carson Wentz uh, for why they're not going to actually live up to all the hype that they have right now yeah yeah I think if you're not getting a if your defense is not at the level of I don't know with like a like the Raven squad when, when they won back in, what was it, 2001 or something yeah, like that? Or, yeah, or, or Yeah, yeah. Or the, um, or the Bucks when they, when they won uh, against, against the Raiders in the Super Bowl. Or one of those sorts of defenses where you're going to need the quarterback more and more in the NFL to win you one game, at least. 
during during the playoff run against another team that has an offense that's going to score a lot. I think it's kind of like what Josh Allen did a bit in this Patriots game. It's just like won them the game. Now, can can Carson Wentz do that? Huh? It's still a little bit questionable for me. He did right. give, give you something here because he got nothing basically from the running game, and they ended up winning the game on his arm. At the same time, he wasn't pressured enough from Arizona with their ability to score. I mean, Arizona had 13 points basically until the very end of the game where they kicked, where they kicked the field goal. So, so he wasn't really pressured to win in the shootout here. And that's when if you start pressing, the things will get a little bit interesting for the Colts. Okay, before we get into the rest of the game for Sunday, I just want to quickly mention if you want to get an elite subscription, elite up is the promo code here. That's E-L-I-T-E-U-P, 50% off, 50% off. This is the best deal you're going to get to be able to get an elite subscription. That's our number one top high end of the line subscription. You get all of the betting content, all of the locked article content, all of the grading, props tool, everything else that we have available here. And we also want to hear from you a little bit on what sort of features you'd like us to add to our top elite subscription. If you want to email us at contact at pff.com, let us know all those different things and we can start to implement a lot of those features. All right, let's get to some of the, the Sunday action here. We're going to start with some easy games to get through. First, Lions at Atlanta Falcons. Falcons were seven half point favorite. The win by four points, 20 to 16. My adjusted score at 24 to 18, so a little bit wider, but about the same here. And I also had Detroit plus seven and a half as a bet that I liked. So that ended up luckily hitting there. Uh, I don't think we need to get into this too much. The Falcons still have a you know two, three, four percent chance of making the playoffs, which is you know too high for my liking. Uh, being that this is the last thing I want to see is the Falcons making the playoffs here. Do we have anything to talk about here other than Dan Campbell? coming through, uh, taking care of the betters here by kicking that field goal at the end of the game to make sure we, we, they got their cover. No, not much else. I mean, Dan Campbell, it does his cover basically. So I uh, definitely love him from a betting perspective. Detroit seems to love him from, you know, a coaching perspective. And, you know, we'll see, we'll see when the shoe is on the other side when Detroit, if, if Detroit builds up to the point where they are, you know, not necessarily an underdog in every single game, it'll be interesting to see if there is like a coaching philosophy shift with Dan Campbell. Uh, in Detroit, but we're still probably a few years off from that. So we'll, we'll see. I'm just going to continue to ride the gravy train. That is uh, Dan Campbell against the spread here in 2020. Yeah. I would love for Dan Campbell. There's like, there's like, uh, you know, Lombardi in green Bay. There's like Tom Landry. There's Bill Walsh out in San Francisco. There's Bill Belichick for the new England Patriots. And then Detroit lions in the future. We're looking back at the Dan, Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell. Right. The, Build a statue. Build a statue. <laughs> right? so. Of coaches. Being that he, he starting with that kneecap speech, which you know right. quickly, quickly got a little bit old on, on, on the jokes there. Um, but going to what he's done now, where so many people are rooting for him now. He may be right. the most popular coach in the NFL as far as people really rooting for him at this point. So I, I was I'm glad to see him cover again. You no, know, not hurt their not hurt their draft pick status too much, but again, respectability and have that team playing well. I, I love it. Right. Um, okay, Bucks at Cardinals. The Bucks finishing off a pretty easy stretcher to the season. They're 11 point favorites. They win 32 to six. 30 to 11 was my adjusted score on here. It's a little bit more narrow, just because you know 32 to six is a pretty wide margin. Um, before we get into rule. The Panthers, their continued implosion, which I don't know if we need to talk about it too much, but we have this two-quarterback thing going on. I was predicting weeks ago, by the way, when when Newton started to struggle, I said, we're going to see Sam Darnold again. 
this season. Right. I just knew they're on the hook for 19 million for him next year, and you you, you have to at least give him a chance to do something. But they're not necessarily going to be interested to upgrade at the quarterback. Um, let's talk the, the team that actually matters here first, which is Bucks. Without Evans, without Godwin, without playoff Lenny, they win very easily. Brady has an 87.5 grade, three EPA per play. And the Panthers' defense, while they're kind of a joke on offense, they're not awful on defense. They've been up and down, but still third success rate, but the bonus success rate as far as the lowest success rate there, seventh in EPA per play. Um, Antonio Brown was enough for Brady to get by here. So are we starting to undervalue Brady? He's falling further and further in the MVP standing despite a good performance like this. Are we starting to undervalue him, undervalue the Bucks, maybe undervalue their status as potentially the number one team in the NFL, which I don't think they are, even though they don't have Godwin going forward. I don't know. I still think they are. Yeah, I think people are probably over overstating or overvaluing the impact of those injuries. Obviously, they do matter. Are they going to matter to the point where they derail, you know, the Buccaneers season? I would say no, because they do still have Tom Brady, right? And maybe, maybe his MVP candidacy uh, isn't going to live up to, you know, a guy like Aaron Rodgers uh, toward the end of the season when they basically beat up on the Panthers, Jets, and Panthers don't really have any signature victories or anything like that in prime time at the end of the season. I think that's the main reason why uh, Brady won't end up, you know, re-catching up to Aaron Rodgers and potentially win the MVP candidacy. But I do think the Buccaneers, kind of like you said, maybe a little bit undervalued, uh, at least in the in the public perception more so than betting market. I do still think betting market has them as basically, uh, you know, the third most likely team to win the Super Bowl. Uh, I feel like that's kind of accurate, but I do think there is a little bit of uh, injury um, overbaked into uh, their current expectation. I think that, you know, with Tom Brady still a quarterback, uh, they're still the team to beat in the NFL right now. Yeah. I mean, the, the right now they're also in this situation where, they're pretty much out on the bye week. Now it's between right. the Cowboys and the Packers. So that really hurts their Super Bowl chances, not getting that free week off. And there's no way. They're, they're almost completely locked into the division, minus uh, losing both of these games to the Jets and the Panthers, going, Panthers again going forward, and a bunch of other things happening. So, you know, they can throttle off, I think, here for the rest of the season, too. And for them, as weird as it might be to say, uh, avoiding the Saints in the playoffs, <laughs> somehow facing the Saints in the playoffs may be the one thing that they really need because that is Brady's kryptonite uh, proven for uh, oh, pretty much all five times that he's played against them. But really four out of the five times he's played against him, he's had some of the four worst performances uh, that, he's, that he's had on the Bucks at all. So he's also praying. He's praying along with us that the Saints right. do not make the playoffs uh, for different reasons. We're, we're more like for watchability. Uh, he, so he doesn't have to face that defense again. Right, right, definitely. Yeah, I do think, you know, the rest of the NFC is probably praying that they do get in so that they don't have to deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because I do think, like, the Packers much rather would play the Saints at home uh, than the Buccaneers probably to get to the Super Bowl. So we'll see how it breaks out. I still don't think the Saints are getting in, thankfully, uh, for the rest of our viewing pleasure. Uh, we'll, but we'll see how it ends up breaking out here. So Okay, well, let's, let's talk about another team that is looking less and less like they're getting, getting in here, and that is the Minnesota Vikings. So the Vikings were at home to the LA Rams. They end up losing this game as a three-point underdog. They lose 30 to 23, a little bit closer than you might have thought. My adjusted score is 25-19 for the Rams. So down a little bit on both. Just a mistake-filled game. If you look right. at the list of most impactful plays, so kind of the absolute value of the change in expected points on the plays, the, the top five most impactful plays were Stafford interception, 
Rams punt return touchdown, which I kind of put that as a mistake on the, on the punt return, on the punt um, coverage team. Cousins interception, Stafford interception, Stafford interception. Just, just giving the ball back and forth on this one. Um, and it was kind of weird because I feel like Stafford it didn't really catch a lot of heat in people's minds for how poorly he played in this game, this game, giving it away, almost giving away the game total. Right. For, if anything, it, the, you have this weird like team based sentiment, which then carries over to the quarterback for the fact that the Cardinals are falling off a cliff and the Rams are maybe ascending to be the division title winner. In some ways people are cutting Stafford a bunch of slack for a pretty nasty game here against right. the Vikings. Yeah, I mean, it was nasty, right? I do think, you know, two teams that didn't necessarily want to win the game, uh, and it was ugly, right? Three interceptions from Stafford. Uh, no no deep pass attempts that were completed, only three explosive plays, mainly due to, you know, yards after the catch from Cooper Cup. So uh, just not a great performance from either team. Thankfully, you know, the Vikings are all but dead and buried in their playoff hunt right now. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe, maybe the expectation that the Rams are uh, in that upper echelon of NFC teams, maybe just needs to be a little bit reevaluated here because I do think they are probably a tier below. Even though I said it earlier, I do think they are a tier below the Cowboys, Buccaneers, uh, and Packers in the NFC pecking order right now. No, I, I think you're right. I think the main reason is kind of the Stafford question, quite honestly, right. here is they're not going to get a buy. They're going to have to win three games to they have the, get in. Yeah. They have the toughest uh, matchup in the wild card race or in the wild card round that weekend, as well as the fourth seed for sure. So yeah, yeah. So they're they're going to have to win those those games. And I think earlier this season, maybe I would have had less question about their ability to do that. But now that we've seen the Stafford down games, including a game like this, like this is a game where he cannot do this if he wants to win to win a playoff game. It's just going to be tough. You're going to really have to get a great you know, flip of the coin, roll of the dice, however you want to put it. Cause he's not like a coin toss, but he's more like, let's say uh, 60, you know, 15% of the time, 20% of the time, you're going to get a stinker from him. The probability right. that that happens over the course of three games is higher now because we've seen it happen substantially over right. the, over these last, over these last few games. Um, Vikings. I've gone back and forth on whether we actually want to see these guys in the playoffs or not. They pretty much have to win that game that we talked about against Green Bay. It would be pretty sweet for them to win that game, put themselves in playoff position, maybe derail Aaron Rodgers' uh, MVP. MVP. That would really yeah. shake up the MVP conversation on that one, too. Uh, maybe put Jonathan Taylor in position to win, to win the MVP with a dominant <laughs> defensive performance here. So I think I'd want to see that in some ways, uh, just because I know people think that all of our analytics uh, guys will be at home crying uh, with John Taylor wins MVP. But I think that would, in some ways, that's, you know, that's, that's like job security for us right, is when everyone right. else is, is messing up so badly and giving it to the wrong people. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't think that it's going to happen because of the Minnesota Vikings. I think if you because think, you're a Vikings fan. Right. Well, well, well I, know, I know for a fact, if you think Aaron Rodgers owns the Chicago Bears, he owns the Vikings uh, even more so in those situations. So it's not going to happen. Not in prime time, not on Sunday night, not in Lambeau Field. Uh, I'm willing to eat my words, but I would bet, Zimmer, I would bet the house Zimmer coaching the for his job. Time. Right. Zimmer coaching for his job potentially too. I know some people have posited that, well, maybe he would doesn't want that job anymore. I mean, 
he, he he's old okay and right. like he's got a super maybe... girlfriend though so <laughs> that's true yeah but more time at home but he's the first person i'd ever believe who says he wants to spend more time uh right. with his with his, with his uh, at home with his family and that's normally all just a lie and they all take another job like a week later when they say that but does he really want to be a defensive coordinator somewhere else I and mean, I, I don't think so i feel like his chances of getting another head coaching job have steadily decreased over right. over the years people talk to him about as a potential cowboys coach a couple of years ago and now that's obviously off the table and other things so i think he wants to keep this job so it could also be that that's also another thing here we'll see we'll see what zimmer is cooking up cooking up for aaron Rodgers. hasn't worked so well in the past but maybe he can get something going this time all right so we got i think maybe the biggest game of the weekend was the buffalo bills at the new england patriots primarily because the bills in my opinion are probably like the difference between how good the team is and where they're playoff chances were coming into the week was the biggest separation for me. I feel like the bills, you could say they're the, you know, by some measures, you could say they're the second best team in the NFL. They're the third best team in the the NFL yet. They were, you know, like a two third, like a third chance of not making the playoffs before this game happened. Even now they're not definitively in. So the Patriots were a one point favorite in this game. It fluctuated between, I don't know, two and a half and one here. The Bills win 33 to 21 and my adjusted score is 30 to 23. So it's a little bit closer. I thought it would be a little bit more wide for the fact that Buffalo did not take advantage on some other drives where they had some could have scored um, in the end zone, but they did take advantage on, on other fourth downs. This was a fourth down Palooza, including uh, Bill Belichick in this one going for it a bunch of times. Uh, five for six on fourth down were the Patriots, believe it or not, six fourth down attempts here. And this was the game that I talked about versus Carson Wentz where Josh Allen just like won this game for the team they did run the ball pretty well so everyone wants to say the Bills can't run the ball Bills need to be able to run the ball you need to be able to blah 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 they passed they still passed at 15 percent over expectation and were that good passing the ball Josh Allen 91 grade 0.36 EPA per play huge drive at the end of the game fourth down pickup to push them going forward what is your takeaway from this this game because I'm a little bit surprised by how People are just pushing others out of the way to be the first to jump off of the Patriots bandwagon after this one. Yeah, I mean, I was never on the Patriots bandwagon, so I'm glad I'm not on that train anymore. But I do think it was the game that we really wanted to see from the Buffalo Bills and to a lesser extent, Josh Allen basically putting the team on his back, uh, playing really well. They did do everything uh, that people probably asked them to do, right? To get the running game involved a little bit, really high adjusted completion percentage. I think Josh Josh Allen was basically at 80% with three drop passes. So uh, really good performance handled pressure really well. I think they had, you know, pressure upwards of like 20 on 20 dropbacks, zero sacks taken. So, uh, his ability to extend plays, break out of the pocket, be able to pick up a positive, you know, expected value play with his legs and some of those dropback situations, uh, is makes, makes the Buffalo bills a really dangerous team. Obviously they had, you know, some COVID situations playing out at the wide receiver position. That really didn't matter. Isaiah McKenzie basically slots in really well, has a really high quality game, high yards after the catch situation. So uh, I think it was a great performance from the Bills, kind of what we expected uh, from the Patriots a little bit. And I think, you know, this is definitely how the pecking order uh, is probably breaking out behind the Chiefs uh, in the AFC right now. Okay, so let's also talk Mac Jones. 50 basically grade in this game. And if we look at his last four games, passing grades in the last four games, 53 against the Titans, 
45 against the Bills. Now, mind you, he, he threw the ball three times in that game. But again, that's not great. Like, it's not a great statement either way. If you only throw the ball three times as far as how good of a quarterback you are. Uh, 61 grade against the Colts. Now a 46 grade here against the Bills. There, People jumping off of the Patriots bandwagon. People jumping off of the Mac Jones Offensive Rookie of the Year bandwagon right. might even be there might even be more of a <laughs> of a fight to get off of that one here. Uh, let me look up the current odds here. Actually, I don't even see that's kind of a point that they don't have it up here at DK. But who would you? What do you think about Jones generally? Offensive Rookie of the Year, all that stuff. I think it was overvalued, basically uh, to start. Uh, Early on, uh, I don't necessarily buy into him a whole lot as being, uh, you know, as good as what everyone projected as like, you know, the best starting quarterback. Obviously, he's shown that in a number of games here in 2021, but I don't think he uh, is going to live up to that long term. So uh, I don't know. The problem is like, who who else are you going to give it to um, if if it's not Mac Jones? Right? Like, is Jamar Chase fallen off enough to the point where he uh, can still win offense the rookie of the year? Is it someone else? I mean. Uh, there just hasn't been a ton of clear separation from any one rookie player in order to actually probably justify getting the offensive rookie of the year award, even over a Mac Jones season that I think was kind of uh, relatively yeah. ma when we look at it at the end of the season. So. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Mac, he's still um, minus 500-ish yeah. sort of on this. So still the clear favorite. I mean, Jamar Chase is next at plus 350. I mean, the thing that was weird about Chase is, I think you could still make the argument for Chase. I mean, I know that T. Higgins has became the, become the guy here, but Chase is one of these, like, flip the season discussions, right? Like, if you flipped mm-hmm. the season around, he, I think he would be leading the MVP, um, I mean, the uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year voting if he started off slow and T. Higgins was the man early in the season and then it flipped around to him having this, this dominant efficiency and everything else in the second half of the season, which he did in the first half of the season, because he's still up there. You know, he's still like top 10-ish sort of receiver. Um, I, just, I just think it's, it's tough when you're just rewarding mediocrity at the quarterback position because it's the quarterback right. Right. in a way. So in that reason, I'd like to go um, with another position. Now, the people who want to go galaxy brain and go like, you know, Creed Humphrey or someone like that, maybe, maybe uh, you could do something brain. like that. I think I'd be, I think I'd, I'd be more comfortable with like Rashawn Slater or someone else who right. is, uh, who's playing a little bit of a more valuable position, but so Rashawn Slater, I could say, or, or Jamar Chase. I think I, I, I like those better than Mac Jones, but it makes it, you know, the quarterback is going to, to get the award a lot of the times. But if they falter the rest of the season, that, that could also flip around more quickly than some people think. Yeah, definitely. Um, and speaking of little Betty bets, if you want to place here, DraftKings is a sponsor of the pod with the NFL season winding down. The playoffs will be here before you know it. And at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL, the offers are getting even more amazing. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Don't miss out on this action. If the sportsbook isn't available in your state, you can still be part of the NFL action. Anyone can play for huge cash prizes in daily fantasy contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team and win $200 in free bets if they're victorious. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wagered, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. 
gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, let's get into a quick one here. The battle of the number one and number two picks, Jacksonville at the New York Jets, 26-21, New York Jets. My adjusted score, 27-20, Jacksonville. So flip it around Mm -hmm. in the other direction here. And just explain that first. The main reason why is we had a kick return touchdown for the Jets, which is about a five and a half EPA play. And the success rate was still better for Jacksonville than it was for the Jets. Uh, A big thing for the Jets was Zach Wilson, the 50-something yard run, 5.6 EPA on that. Great run, great play. Not going to see it too often. Not going to see that happen too often. And then outside of that, Wilson shockingly had an 80 grade in this game. I'm not sure how. Um, But he dropped back only 44% of the time, 10% under expectation, only 102 passing yards on 22 attempts of so 4.6 yards per attempt. So not, not so hot here. Uh, anything you want to say about this game, any implications, or is it just a couple of mad performances from these top picks and we need to just move on to 2022 to figure out anything about either of these teams? Yeah, I think we need to move on to 2022 to figure out anything about these teams. I mean, obviously it was nice to see Zach Wilson show a little semblance of offensive production at the quarterback position, but yeah, it's uh, it's uh, there's still a long road ahead for both these guys to actually be uh, where we expected them to be kind of heading into 2021. So reset year, gap year, whatever you want to call it. But uh, maybe we'll see how these guys perform here in 2022. Yeah, I mean, I think Wilson has, you know, better athleticism in arm than than Darnold did. But it was a little bit reminiscent of like a big Darnold run that would happen. And right. People get excited and then we continue to think again. And we're still on, you know, day weeks. Weeks since Trevor Wilson, I mean, the Trevor Lawrence uh, TD watch. The Trevor Lawrence TD watch here. We're still on it. No touchdown pass in this game. That's now one touchdown pass in the last eight games. So they went on by uh, uh, after week eight. And after that, zero, one touchdown pass that entire stretch here, which is pretty incredible, almost shocking how you could continue to do that uh very strange sequence to end this game too where they spike the ball on third down before going before trying to score and then failing on fourth down so just a lot of weirdness going on there hopefully they can find a coach in jacksonville but now they're gonna retain trent bulky i don't know we'll, we'll, we'll have to talk about this more more in the offseason but yeah it looks like a, a total disaster going on there shot con uh, you know, sweet mustache not so great on some of these decision makings it seems right. like from from the ownership position um, okay. Giants at Philadelphia Eagles, the Eagles, the J- the fighting Jake Fromms were 11 point underdogs in this game. The Eagles win 34 to 10, but my adjusted score much, much more narrow 18 to six for oh. Philadelphia because the Eagles offense. Okay. It's a rough sledding for this Eagles offense. And I feel like this is another one of these games where after this game, remember, I, I love Jalen Hurts. I'm on, I'm, I'm driving the bandwagon, right? But after this game, again, they are moving up in the playoff standings. They, they win this game optically. If you just look at the final score, they win by 24 points. The Eagles started this game, their first four drives, all punts, 15 total plays on those four drives, 22 total yards was all that they put up on the first four drives of the game. So it helps when you're going against the fighting Fromms here because he put up, you know, like the worst performance in the history of mankind 
almost in this in this game for fraud. Right. Wait, wait a second. I gotta I gotta pull this up really quick. Well, first of all, let, let me get your you have any takes on the Eagles on this one, whether they could be a little bit overvalued because their success rate is keeps on it keeps on being low, and especially their success rate dropping back to pass keeps on being low. Right, right. Yeah, I mean it is it is somewhat concerning. I do think, you know, I don't know. I didn't I honestly didn't watch this game a whole lot. Um I was interested to see if the Eagles were actually going to cover. They did obviously some turnover luck in the third and fourth quarter played into that quite a bit, but they're still they're a tough team to evaluate. I do think if you know the Cowboys are playing for anything in week 18, if they do still have a shot at the number one seed, uh, it's going to be you know difficult for Philadelphia to kind of squeeze into you know the last playoff spot in the NFC. Obviously, they need to win this week against Washington in order to do that. I think they handle business, and then it's going to come down to if Dallas is resting uh, their starters or not in week 18 and whether or not the Eagles actually end up getting in. So I don't know. I'm with you. Uh, you might have been driving the Jalen Hurts bandwagon to start. I think I hopped on board at least early enough riding shotgun for a while. Um, and, you know, I think I think he does offer maybe, maybe the best rookie uh, quarterback contract situation uh, based on production in the NFL so far in, you know, 2021. I do think, obviously, there's guys like Joe Burrow, uh, Justin Herbert, higher draft picks more cap hit in the NFL. So I do think the Eagles are set up really well for long-term success if they end up building around uh, Jalen Hurts, which they absolutely have to do, uh, in my opinion, here going forward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so if you look at this game, like the Eagles, 37% success rate, 63% on runs, only 30% on dropbacks. So I'm seeing that a little bit too often. I and mean, he does give you big plays and he throws yeah. the ball fairly well down the field. So that's going to skew a little bit higher and it gives you the floor with the running game. How much credit do we give to him for the running game versus the fact that they have good offensive linemen and so on? Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see there. Um, but so the thing you talk about hurts going forward, is he the guy or not? You don't want to have this discussion necessarily on a week by week basis, but the thing that's interesting, I think what may be helping him even more than his play and their number one, the playoff chances is the biggest thing. Like they make the playoffs that really helps him a lot, but Number two is that their picks, which have gone from three top 11 picks when the Dolphins and the Colts were struggling a lot. Right. And they were struggling a little bit. Three top 11 picks. The Dolphins pick was like borderline top five-ish sort of pick. Now, Colts have been on a run. Dolphins have been on a run. They've been on a run. Now, as of right now, their picks are, I believe, 18, 19, and 23. So their back half pick. So if they want to look at drafting a quarterback, if they say we want to get where the number one quarterback is in the draft, I don't know who it is. I'm not paying attention. I don't know where they're going to go, but they're probably going to go before the 18th pick. So to secure that, you might need to throw in an extra. You might need to use two first round picks on this guy at rather least. than using rather than using one. And you know, it becomes a little bit more of a dicey proposition in a year where people don't love quarterbacks, and you may want to have that draft capital spent 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 elsewhere. So I think these outside circumstances where their draft picks are going to be is playing in Jalen Hurts's favor of being the 2022 starter for this team. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it is exactly up, right? I mean, moving down in the draft, I do think uh, there are still some opportunities in like the 10 to 13 range for some quarterback positions. Obviously, Sam Howell's a guy people like uh, Malik Willis as well. Maybe those are two options that, but I don't really think either of those uh, put the Eagles in a better short or long-term position than what they're going to get at Jalen Hurts at quarterback, especially if they end up using some of those picks uh, to potentially get him one more wide receiver outside of Devontae Smith, which I think they absolutely have to do here. So I'm excited for the Eagles future. I do think with Jalen Hurts at quarterback, uh, they can be, you know, a team that competes with the Dallas Cowboys 
in the NFC East for the for the foreseeable future for sure. So yeah, yeah, I think so. If he can especially keep that offensive line uh Intact, run, yeah. run blocking, then it doesn't really matter who they have back there in the backfield. Okay. Um Baltimore Ravens, the fighting Josh Johnsons in this one at Cincinnati Bengals, Bengals seven point favorites, 41-21 victory. Much more narrow, actually, believe it or not here. I only have it at 27-21. That's because the Bengals became the big play Bengals again. Um, what was interesting about them is they did turn things over to Burrow. Uh, 71% dropback percentage, 19% over expectations. They've been a team that has not been willing to do that so far this year because of maybe protecting him a bit. I mean, he takes a ton of sacks. He's top three sack rate guy so far this season. But in this game, you know, 525 passing yards, that's what everyone's going to be talking about in that one. And 153 of those passing, passing yards he put up in the fourth quarter, up by 20 points. But right. maybe that's part of why it's a little bit more narrow. But again, it's like these, these big plays they had. They had a 68-yard touchdown on a blown coverage to, to uh, Tyler Boyd. They had a 52-yard big pass to T. Higgins in double coverage. A 52-yard run from Joe Mixon. Um, all, all that sort of stuff was going on. But it, just a huge, huge performance and an onslaught here on the Ravens. Can we take away, though, how much can we take away from this game being that we have, you know, the JV team at best starting at cornerback? Again, like an unheard of sort of problem going on here for the Ravens on the back end. Yeah, I think the main takeaway for me is like they actually did let Joe Burrow cook here on Sunday. And I do think that that is the way that they are going to be successful uh, in the AFC playoff race. They need to rely on him a lot more than what they have so far in 2021. They need to rely on him a lot more than what they have with Joe Mixon. If they do that, Uh, They're a very dangerous team. I think they're receiving unit, obviously one of the best in the NFL already uh, at a really young age. So uh, if they let that happen, even if they lose out this year, I think the future is going to be much brighter for them. If they lose uh, with Joe Burrow slinging the rock downfield, and if they're just kind of trying to pound in the line with Joe Mixon at quarterback. So, so we'll see 14 explosive plays, 359 yards on those explosive plays, obviously uh, some massive chunk plays, like you said, against Ravens secondary that has no business being on the field right now outside of the COVID situation, the injury situations that they've dealt with. So uh, I'm taking away the fact that uh, if Zach Taylor lets Joe Burrow cook, uh, the Bengals are a really dangerous team already, and they could make some potential noise here in the AFC uh, playoff race when it's all said and done. Yeah, I think it's close to 80-ish, maybe 85% chance that they're going to make the playoffs. They don't have an easy schedule, though, for the Bengals. No, so they not really easy. need to win one of these two games. They need to beat the Browns in week 18. In. Yeah, they need to beat yes. the Browns in week 18, and then they they win the division, basically, is all it comes down to. So this game doesn't really matter a whole lot, uh, the Chiefs matchup with them this weekend. Uh, obviously, if they win, I do think they are win the division as is in week 17, but uh, it's definitely not as detrimental of a loss if they actually Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I think it matters in that it's tougher to win, but if they win, it seals up the playoffs, basically. Right, they're gonna, they're, right, they're right. in the playoffs if they win this because it eliminates the Browns. Um, so, so if they win this game, they could get a nice little thing here of eliminating the Browns, uh, who they're going to face the next week. The Browns will already be dead at that point before they're right. even playing them uh, the next week. But so they can still make it without without necessarily having the division if they win this one. It, it's it's going to almost wrap things up. Actually, I'm seeing here if they win next week, there's like an outside outside chance that they could get the buy. Because beating the really? Chiefs to lower, yeah, to lower the Chiefs slightly, and then Tennessee, you know, they can lose some games, so that would be wild. That'd be wild. I mean, very outside chance. We're talking about like 
five less than three chances, yeah. or something like that if they can win this game but those are there is there is definitely something at stake for them in this next game and then the ravens they're probably still at i don't know 25 percent chance to make the playoffs but that's inaccurate i would say because it's not really factoring in how awful this defense is they have the rams and the steelers that they have to play so they get they're going to win these games and then in order to get in, and we're probably overvaluing their probability of winning those games with the defense being so bad. So it's probably under 20%-ish sort of chance. And, you know, I, I love the Ravens, but unfortunately, I could pass on seeing them in, in, right. in the playoffs with, with this, this team, the, the way that it's going. All right, so before we get through a few more games we can power through here, let's get our, through our last sponsor. That's Western and Southern. Want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to $2,500. Coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that's westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. And if you're watching on YouTube channel, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. And now let's get back to a few of these quick ones we can get by here. Uh, Bears at Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks seven-point favorites. The Bears win on a last-second touchdown, 25-21. to I have the Bears being a better team in this one, 18 to 15. Uh, Seattle actually had a better success rate and their efficiency, but they weren't doing a whole lot outside of some big plays, uh, some big long plays to DK Metcalf and Gerald Everett. 181 passing yards for Russ here in the snow. Um, 161 net yards if you take away the 20 sack yards here. And I think the big story coming out of this were some more rumbles on this. What's what what is Russ going to be traded in the offseason with? Pete Carroll specifically pointing the finger at Russell Wilson for taking a 13-yard sack on third down from the Bears' eight-yard line, which led to a missed field goal from 39 yards out. So it would have been even more of a chip shot, still pretty chippy, under 40 yards, even in that weather. It would have been a 10-point lead. They probably went up to about 98% in win probability. Instead, they went down to about 90% in win probability. And, of course, they have the the Nick Foles. Nick Foles is good for this. Big D Nick comes through with, with the win here. Um, I got this weird thing going with Russell where I've been saying the worse he plays lowers his trade value, which makes it more difficult to trade him in the off season in a way. Um, because I don't think Seattle fans are dumping Russ over these, these few performances. Like right. they're going to want something. If you're going to say, Hey, we traded Russ for, um, a uh a first and a conditional like second round pick like people are they're going to be upset about that despite the fact that i think that's what they want and there are a lot of teams who can talk themselves out of russell wilson a lot of offensive coordinators are in their bag like they don't necessarily want a guy who runs around a whole bunch on a broken play and then throws it to somebody like right. you know, what am i here for what, what's what's my purpose so i think his trade value might be a little bit lower as people think Again, this is another thing we could rehash on a week-by-week basis. But what do you think about the rumblings here, the rumblings out of Seattle and Pete Carroll dissatisfaction manifested? Yeah, I definitely think it's real, right? I do think one of two things are going to happen. Either Pete Carroll gets fired or Russell Wilson gets traded. Maybe both happen, but I do think one of them absolutely has to happen here before we head into Pete the 2020. Do you think Pete Carroll can get fired? Do you think Pete Carroll can actually I think fired? he should. I mean, I'm not I, hearing I think a that's lot a more, about it. I know. I think it should, though. It's more. I think it's a better long-term approach for – 
uh, the Seattle Seahawks. No, I, I, actually I, I totally, I totally agree Russell with that. Wilson, I just feel like people he seems untouchable, upset. right? Yeah, people yeah, are more upset at him when they're winning and they weren't cooking right, when they're winning right. than they are now. At least from what I'm seeing. Yeah, he's he's not getting much of the blame for this 2021 season. I'll definitely give yeah. you that. So, um, you know, it is what it is. I think uh, maybe maybe it's not just the fact that 2021 has been a disaster. I do think there has been some things that the cracks, you know, bursting here in prior years as well. Uh, but it does seem similar to like in the Mike Zimmer vein. I do think it's probably time uh, for the Seattle Seahawks to move on from Pete Carroll, similar to how it is for Minnesota Vikings. So it's just, it just doesn't seem in the current state of this team uh, that they're going to be able to challenge for a Super Bowl given the current makeup of it. So, so we'll see. Yeah. I think it's best to probably tear it down and rebuild. That's that's what all that I really want is for teams to actually bottom out respectfully, right? Not 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 try and go in and be eight and eight for the rest of or whatever it is, eight and nine now, nine and eight for the rest of their lives. Basically, I want to see some teams actually bottom out uh, and you know then build back up uh, to what we could actually see from them, but. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just, just it's just hard. not gonna happen. It's, you know, it's right. hard when you don't even have your first round pick because you right, right, all yeah. Du- that's why, yeah, that's why uh, it's such a disaster, yeah. right? I mean, like yeah. they win all in, uh, and they are not even close to a team that should be going all in, and they have done it. So uh, the only real, the only real opportunity for them is to bottom out, in my opinion. So yeah, we'll see if yeah, they actually yeah. do that. I mean, uh, the only other thing I'll mention here, just to inflame the uh, Justin Fields apologists out there. Uh, who I like to pick at. Hey, you know, they, they win in fields out and I throw another quarterback in. And, hey, they win another game. Uh, not right. not that it was a fantastic performance by Foles, but, you know, maybe, uh, maybe not quite as, as good vis a vis the other options that they have there as some people want want to think. Just, just saying, just saying. Okay, um, let's get Steelers, Kansas City. What was, again, this is the Romo game and yikes, yikes, City on this one. Kansas City, 10 point favorite. They were up, it seemed like 28, 21, 28 to nothing before, like before the, in the first quarter. <laughs> it was so, over, it was so, right, right. It was so bad. 36 10 to Kansas City. Uh, we got some uh, Chad Henney in this, in this game. Um, 34 to 18 is my adjusted score here. Do we care about this game? Because what we may care about a little bit is we saw Kansas City blitzkrieg offense beyond just their first possession. They've come out strong in their first possession in a lot of games where you're like, Kansas City's offense is back. You're partying right. in the streets, you know, confetti is flying all over the place. And then they just mediocre met out the Close. rest of the season. Right. This is the Steelers defense, which is not god awful, right? Uh, I saw TJ, TJ Watt, I believe, was on the field for this one. And they kept pouring it on here with no Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey was holding back this offense. I think it's the only thing that you can really, you could, you can really get out of this here. Um, of course, that's a joke here, but what do you think about what the offense here and, you know, Pat was using, using his guys. I saw Noah Gray making some, some catches. I saw Pringle, Pringle time going on here. Uh, CEH actually made his first play of his career. So maybe that first round pick yeah. was worth it until he, uh, but he ended up ended hurting himself right. <laughs> eventually here, but that was all part of their long plan for uh, the first round pick to eventually start doing something in week 16 of his second season. Right. Uh, what, what, what do you think? Are we, are we taking anything away from this game? Yeah, I mean, it, it is encouraging to see Byron Pringle, I would say, actually be some successful in that second wide receiver position. I do think that is... They need somebody. They need key, somebody. Yeah, there. a key part of this offense once you're actually playing a team that could maybe keep pace with them offensively. So that's a big takeaway. And then defensively, Steelers are a team that I've basically been fading all year. I did have the under 40, 45 and a half, which didn't break, right? Uh, 
Mike Tomlin basically kicked a field goal down 30 points basically in the third quarter for God knows what reason. Ben Roethlisberger that should be part also had That should be part yeah. of your model for, for him to do something like that. And then Ben Roethlisberger had like the strip sack fumble where the Chiefs got a late field goal as well uh, in yeah. the fourth quarter. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the Chiefs defense, like they, for for whatever reason, have all of a sudden started to uh, play pretty well. I'm wondering if that's going to be sustainable uh, against some actual NFL offenses. Uh, we'll see if that actually carries forward or not. But I do think the Chiefs are uh, the team to beat from my perspective in the NFL and should be uh, the best option from a betting perspective to win the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I mean, they are leading the Super Bowl odds now at um, plus 400. The Packers are plus 450. Last time I checked, I'm going to change that after, yeah. after last night. And the Chiefs, um, Patrick Mahomes, after all that's happened this season, he's up to fourth in EPA per play right now for the season uh, behind Stafford, behind Rodgers, behind Still Jimmy like, Garoppolo. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo. Still like so like 15th in PFF passing. Yeah. 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 He's, I, I don't want to, I don't want to slam PFF. Right. Uh, I, I can't, I can't do that. But Joe Burrow, I mean, come on first. PFF, right? Come on. <laughs> so, um, so That's we like got a the slap Falcons. in the face for you with all the sacks and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I know. That's I can't stand the sacks. <laughs> uh, so we got the Falcons out. We, we got them out of the paint in the NFC. We need to get the Steelers out. And they're, yes. they're still like a 10, 15% win probability. Yeah, it's driving me insane to think that they might make it here. They have the Browns and the Ravens. So we need them out. And we need, I, I will take the Ravens over the Steelers. Like, even though I say I don't want the Ravens, I will definitely take the Ravens and their JV uh, back end versus the Steelers. So let's get this done. Let's Browns and Ravens, let's get this done. Get the Steelers out of the playoffs and big fan. You know, great career, Hall of Fame career, but uh, we, we'll we see you on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, this is the, probably the least buzzworthy game for two teams that have like legitimate playoff hopes going into this was the Broncos at the the Raiders. I mean, there was no one was talking about they refused to flip over the game until Patrick Mahomes was taken out and they put right. they put Henny in. <laughs> and then when they flipped it over where I am, at least in Florida, they flipped it over immediately just to watch Derek Carr kneel the ball. That's what they, they right. would not even flip it over until we got to that point. So that shows you like how unattractive this game was. Despite again playoff chances, to well, at least it was prior to this game. The Broncos are now dead after yeah. losing seventeen to thirteen. I had twenty-seven to eight, so even a bit more, wow. uh, a bigger uh, difference here, and twenty-five percent success rate for the Broncos' off- offense. Um, that's in that's less than the first percentile as far as how bad it was. Twenty expected points lost on turnovers. Um, is what kept the Broncos in it, is the fact that the, the Raiders had so many turnovers that helped give them in it. Drew Locke had an 86 grade in this game. Again, you know, I don't want to, Chris, hopefully, you know, Chris, I don't think he's listening to this podcast, but if he is, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get on, I don't want to get on the grading too much here, but I don't even want to know how that happened because trust me, this is, it can't be deserved. I don't care how many drops there were. I don't care anything. This is an awful, awful offensive performance for for uh, the Broncos here. And the Raiders, 20, 25% chance to make the playoffs here. They have the Colts and the Chargers to go. Um, we probably need to get the Raiders up out of the paint. They might be a little bit interesting, but I think we need to get them out. And anything you're taking from this game? 
Not really, no. I mean, this is basically the future that football guys want. Uh, not not for me whatsoever, <laughs> basically. It? So I didn't hear him talking about this one, unfortunately. <laughs> Josh Jacobs. What, wait, wait, what did Josh Jacobs do to Eric Eager? Because he was really like railing on Josh was Jacobs he? after this game. I thought Jacobs was okay, you know? He's doing what he can do. It's not, don't hate the player, hate the game. Hate the game, you know? like, right. like he, he, he doesn't, it's not his fault that he got drafted in the first round. But uh, yeah, anyway, the, we, we, we could see Carr. <laughs> well, what about Carr? Is there any chance he's actually gone from the Raiders next year? He's like the only thing that's good about the Raiders, I would say. Outside of their defense, right? I mean, people um, have talked about the fact of whether they can want out or not, but I don't really see that either. He's been one of these Raiders for life, I feel so loyal sort of guys. And I think he is kind of in that boat, despite the fact that they've been been buzzed about getting rid of him every offseason. So we're probably seeing Carr come back. And I don't know. It's a slog. It's a slog. I don't know what they're going to do with head coach. The fact that they could be in the playoffs is just weird this right. season. They did um, get over their yeah. win total in this one. So we had them at six yeah. and a half. Uh, and then they closed seven, even seven and a half in certain spots to go over the win total. I think it was a little concerning uh, at stretches during the midpoint of the season. But uh, yeah, I think they've exceeded expectations. I do think Derek Carr should be back. I agree. What does happen uh, at the coaching position? And then obviously they need to figure out something outside of Hunter Renfro at wide receiver now with the whole Henry Ruggs situation. But other than that, I mean, I feel, I think they're, they're not a team that you'd ever expect to ever compete for a Super Bowl, but they could definitely be in the playoff picture again here uh, in 2022. From my yeah. Respect. Yeah. Yeah. I think if they can get healthy, like if they can get Darren right. Waller back out there, cause the defense is doing it. Like it's just right. weird to have a Raiders defense that, that's, that's playing relatively right. well. And I think that's helped Derek Carr standing a lot because he's not necessarily better than he has been in the past, but they're, they're staying in games and he's not just garbage time. And right. he's not, you know, throwing the ball away on fourth down uh, at the end of games when he's, when he's losing and things like that. They're actually winning some games here. Okay, so the weirdest outcome of the week. Let's get to this one. Uh, Staley catching some heat I've seen on the wire here, and that is the Chargers losing to the Houston Texans, 13-point favorites. They lose 41-29, to and it wasn't like it was a weird score. It was, um, it was, it was, you know, a little bit flipped over though. And my adjusted scores actually have the chargers being slightly better, which is a little bit weird here, but it's just heavily based on the, all these turnovers that, that, that Herbert was having. And, you know, maybe it shouldn't be so reliant upon that, which is really weird though. If you look at the charge in this game, they had a 65% success rate, literally hundredth percentile success rate in this game, but they had negative 18 expected points on turnovers uh, you know, Herbert was averaging 9.6 yards per attempt if he wasn't throwing near pick sixes and multiple turnovers. And the defense was just getting gashed in this one. Right. Um, and it wasn't just the run. It was also Davis Mills with, with big time throws with only a 6% pressure rate on Davis Mills during this game. That was really the issue. So turnovers and poor defense actually masked what was underlying a decent offensive performance for, for the Chargers, but they just got smoked in this one. Right, definitely. It had a lot, had a lot of skill position players out, obviously, with the COVID yeah. situations and everything else. So maybe that played a little bit of a role. But yeah, I agree with you 100. percent I mean, Davis Davis Mills, uh, Houston Texans passing offense were at what like 0.435 EPA per passing attempt. I mean, if you would have told me Davis Mills was going to throw for that in any game in 2021, I would have told you you're crazy, right? So I mean, he uh, looked the part on Sunday. Brandon Staley supposed to be you know this heavy defensive guru sort of guy. Uh, the defense is just not playing well right now. So I uh, definitely think 
you know, they're kind of sliding out of the playoff race. If they're not even out of it completely right now, they might just have a little bit of a shot uh, left to go, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's weird, man. The, the chargers are a really difficult team to project on a week to week basis. And I think that they might be the most difficult team to project uh, on a week to week basis. I'm, I can't think of another team that I've had, you know, so much trouble trying to figure out how they're actually going to perform on any given week. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. The Texans now, like is Davis Mills like playing himself into 22 Texans? Oh, starter? definitely. Definitely. I think, I think, I mean, I think he is. Yeah, I think he, yeah, has, I think, right? I think he so. probably is. I mean, the Texans are down to third in the draft order. They're two games behind the Jacksonville Jaguars now. So they're pretty much out of it. Um, what's interesting though, is you have the two edge guys uh, again, I don't know anything about the draft. Aiden and Hutchinson. Yeah. Hutchinson. Thibodeau's are the two guys. So they may be playing themselves out of one of those guys. So maybe that opens up the possibility that they can look at a quarterback there. Although I don't think, I just don't think there's a guy. Mocked, yeah. There's just not a guy that high. that high right now. So yeah, we're talking about the Davis and like a, Mills. Right. In, in, I mean, it's uh, like a Derek Stingley, probably Derek Stingley at three or something like that makes some sense to them. Maybe a little bit trying to, you know, help out the defense a little bit, but I do think, you know, I think that's not a terrible play because they could bottom out in 2022 if Davis Mills doesn't, ball out again in the sophomore season and then they are you know right there for a number of uh, high quality quarterback prospects in the next draft so I think that's got to be their long-term plan I don't think anybody thought this was going to be like a one-year uh, rebuilding plan for the Houston Texans here in 2021 only maybe if they do something with Sean Watson in the offseason uh, they can pick up some more you know draft picks and other things and pieces like that but uh, I think it's definitely going to be two years at the top of the draft class, and then maybe they can get that quarterback prospect in, uh, you know, 2023. So what's weird is I feel like Davis Mills has actually been better than his. Well, he was he haven't graded in the fifties. And I don't know, man, if you consider like what he has around him, right? Like this is right. by far seen as being the worst team in the NFL going right. into going into the year. I mean, 12 big time throws, 17 turnover worthy plays, not great. Um, but he's only taking 28 sacks. Again, it's one of these things where I think we might be undervaluing the fact that he that he gets rid of the ball so quickly. He only has a 2.5 average time to throw, which is way faster than a lot of these other rookies who have not been doing well. No Brandon Cooks in this game. Right, he's right. willing to throw the ball down the field. I mean, they had also had a pretty big win against the Patriots earlier this year, which I think it was funny. People were talking about going ape shit over the fact that the chargers lost this game and what it says about their coaching this and that blah blah i mean whatever teams can win sometimes right it it happens they they beat down the patriots earlier this year so we're going to fire bill belichick uh based upon that no no but yeah i think mills not not a starter but like if you had a good surrounding cast around him he is maybe a guy that could get you like a 500 sort of team if he if he grows over the next year so he's an interesting name out there but you know it's not something you're gonna get excited about but i feel like he he might be playing better than you know than some of the rookies out there i mean he <laughs> definitely is playing better than some of the other rookies out there i mean this that's not even a question right now yeah, it is kind of interesting because, wins. he actually has some right, signature wins and like right. other guys but the thing is like with davis mills i mean he was a highly highly re- thought of recruit heading into college right like he had the yeah. big arm he had a lot of these things so maybe he is a little bit of this like poor man's Justin Herbert where he didn't necessarily have the great uh any sort of you know season in college football you know Justin Herbert obviously had a great junior year really poor senior year Davis yeah. Mills never really had that but he had he had the what quote unquote intangibles the tools those sorts of things to be really thought of high 
uh, prospect heading into college football. Maybe, you know, there are some things there and traits there that he could potentially build on a little bit. Maybe he was. Yeah. Just, yeah. I don't think he bit. has like Herbert traits, obviously right, is right, like, he's right. like a quarterback, the defense destroying robot, but right. I mean, he wasn't a high prospect coming into to college, but you know, we talked about Derek Carr earlier. I could see him being like a Derek Carr ish right. sort of guy, you know, right. gets the ball out quickly can execute has a decent enough arm, everything else like that. Uh, we'll see if he can play himself into that sort of stuff going forward. Carr took right. a big leap in his, in his second year after being look, looking okay, but having very poor numbers in his, his first year. All right. right. Let's finish it off with the Sunday night football game, the Washington football team at Dallas Cowboys, Dallas 10-point favorite, 56 to 14. Uh, the adjusted score, not that it really even matters in this, was 41 to 10. Uh, this probably was the worst best bet that I ever had, <laughs> saying, saying the football team plus 10 and a half. I was all excited about getting that half point at a bunch of different places here um, after it moved down. And I guess it's a meaningful game for the Cowboys offense getting back on track because that was the question. Their defense had come about around. Their offense was in a, in a, in a nosedive. Dak, 0.4 EPA per play, 80 grade, 330 yards, four touchdowns, um, and only 180 rushing yards in a, in a blowout. So this is really a passing-dominated game there. Uh, the Washington's done. Cowboys maybe have a 25-ish percent chance of getting that number one seed. How much are you taking from from this game? Um, again, that's like the big question for all of these different games because when they're blowouts, I agree that Dak played well, but do we need to see another one or two of these games before we feel like Dak is back? Or do we take the prior of thinking Dak is good and we're, we're basing it on that? I think I'm taking the prior that I thought Dak was good and I do think that they are back now, right? And I think one of the main reasons for that is uh, Tyron Smith was out of this game. The other time that happened was against Kansas City Chiefs when the Dallas Cowboys put up nine points uh, in a really poor offensive performance. They were kind of able to alleviate that situation here on Sunday Night Football, and I think it was kind of what we were waiting for uh, to see this offense kind of hitting on all cylinders. So I'm kind of resting on my prayers a little bit, and I do think that the Cowboys are uh, very dangerous here uh, in the NFC, and this was kind of the performance I wanted to see, and I do think it is like the perfect step for them. Uh, kind of heading into the playoffs right now. And I do think that they are uh, one of the most dangerous and complete teams in the NFL right now. So you know, what, what's weird about this Cowboys defense is that everyone says, look at this guy, look at this guy, look at Lawrence, yeah. look at, look at Diggs, look Micah at I mean, Parsons, yeah. Micah Parsons. But other than Parsons, like, wait a second, these dudes were here. Before, right, right. Right. So if this is, if we have this dominant uh, talent defense, how come they stink? How come they was always they were always so bad before? Can Micah Parsons really be the secret sauce that they're adding to this defense that brings it all together? Is everything having to hit? Is Dan Quinn really this mastermind? We're talking Dan Quinn head coaching, right. which I'm, I'm, I'm crazy. I'm, I'm getting flashbacks to some of the fourth down calls that Dan Quinn has had. Uh, maybe the worst one ever. I think when they were down by four points and he kicked a field goal like from the inside the five yard line with four, three and a half minutes left to go or something like right. that. Dan um, campbell <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, w- what's going on here with this defense? Can we trust this defense? Cause I, I think they're good. I think it's very good that it's turned over to being a pass rush dominant defense as opposed to a interception dominant defense. But I still don't know because it seems to be a little bit high risk, high reward what they're doing on here. So can they catch the bad side of variance in one of these games? And then, we're like, oh, what happened to this Cowboys defense? I mean, they could definitely catch the bad variants in one game, but I do think they are a lot better than 
you know, it just being Micah Parsons, right? Obviously Diggs rookie last year, rookie cornerback situation, maybe struggled a little bit in that rookie season. I think I'm willing to give him a pass that he kind of took the next step here in 2021. So I do think it's a number of confounding things, but of course it goes back to the fact that like, uh, we don't really want to rest on our belief in a defense in order to actually win football games. And I think that is probably what makes Dallas so dangerous, right? Because they do have the defense. They can probably win with only that defense, uh, but they're often capable of scoring against any team in the NFL right now either, right, too. So I do think not only do they have the defense, they also have the offense. And I think that's uh, kind of the reasoning for why um, they're, they're looking like, you know, the team that can maybe be the best actual bet or value bet here uh to win the Super Bowl right now so yeah yeah and I think offensively like when you sort of think about it guys have missed time Dak has missed time he's looked like he could have been injured right uh you know the, Cooper's missed time uh CeeDee Lamb has C. missed Lamb, some time yeah. Tyron Smith has missed some time Gallup uh, Gallup you know all these guys been, but you're starting going through and you're like wait a second these guys are all potentially healthy for the playoffs right. they're basically one of the few teams where you can really point to having this enormous sum of talent and things going right, they could be a number one seed. They could be completely healthy right. uh, going into the playoffs. You start to do all these calculations. You're like, wait a second, this is like the Super Bowl run is coming together better than you ever could have expected right. for any team this season for this Cowboys team. Right. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I agree 100%. I do think, you know, I've kind of been buying into them a little bit over the last four weeks. This, And that was one of the reasons why I really, was excited to see this offensive performance and it is something that's like yeah it was one game but I do think projecting that forward now with the fact that they all are healthy all they have the wide receiver trio they have both running backs they have you know the offensive line everything is kind of in place and they are uh probably hitting on all cylinders at the right time with everybody healthy and I do think that is a pretty scary proposition for the rest of the NFL right now. So. Yeah, yeah. The DAC, the DAC takes, if they make an early exit from the playoffs on a poor offensive performance, are going to be explosive. Right. It's going to be explosive. Right. So a lot we can of just blame the defense this. then. We can just blame the defense then, right? The we'll see what, the kids, what, if, what if the defense plays well. And they lose, right, it's like 14 to 10 game. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan Orlovsky will be like, I was right the, the right. entire time. Everybody will be planting their flags on there. So anyway, great couple of weeks here. Uh, left to go make sure to tune in also to the friday show here where uh, we're going to go over the thursday night game and preview some best bets for the weekend otherwise we'll be coming back at you with the flagship show here on tuesdays to wrap up everything thanks again to ben brown to joining me for joining me and i'll be talking to everyone next week thanks